This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best of your sports talk. For Tuesday, May the 21st, I'm your host, D.A. And the Golden State Warriors end up in their fifth straight NBA Finals by surviving Portland in overtime in game number four. Unfortunately, no drama in the Western Conference Finals except for in-game because in the last three games, game two, game three, and game four, The Warriors trailed by 17 points or more in all three of those games at some point in time. And yet, they came back, roared back to win all three. If you were hoping for Game 6s and Game 7s, the Blazers going toe-to-toe with a faltering, eroding dynasty, you'd be wrong. Golden State just proved, even without Kevin Durant, they are still absolutely dynamite. And so, as the Warriors head to their fifth consecutive finals, the first time any NBA team has done that since the 60s Boston Celtics, what's the expectations in the Bay Area? Here's Joe Lowe and Dibs on 95-7 The Game in San Francisco. This may be the one that jumps out more than anything else. In the five years worth of playoff games that the Warriors have participated in since Steve Kerr arrived, 99 total playoff games. Their scoring differential in those 99 playoff games is plus 817. They are winning those 99 games by an average of 8 points per game. That is insane. If you have a plus 8 scoring differential for the regular season, you are at the top of the mountain. This is postseason opposition. This is the NBA Finals. This is the Western Conference Finals. This is the best of the best. And on average, the last five years, for those 99 games, you are outscoring the opponents by eight points per game. I have never in my life seen anything like that in any sport. No, it's incredible. And I was going through some of the numbers myself, Joe, and I just looked at that 16-1 and postseason in which they were a plus 228 differential, which was 13.4 Per game, and that's you look at that year, which is the first year of KD, and you think that might be the greatest single team in history. Yet you continue to look at the two years before, and now the two years subsequent, and the plus minus continues to be unbelievable. Part of that is this team doesn't get blown out very often in the playoffs. So even in this series against Portland, in which they were down by seventeen, seventeen, and eighteen in three of the four games. None of those games resulted in a blowout loss, let alone a loss at all. So this team's resiliency and the championship caliber that they've shown helps them dig out of holes, and it also helps them avoid getting motorboated. Daniel, is it safe to say this team is probably the Carl Lewis of the NBA? We watch Carl Lewis in the 100-yard dash. Carl Lewis, the Olympian, not the, Olympian. the national anthem singer, no, right? No, hell no. Not I'll not make just it up to, to you. make sure. Oh, let me pick it up. But you remember watching <laughs> this guy run. You're like watching the 100-yard dash, and everyone's just leaving him. And all of a sudden, Carl Lewis, he just always would just come out of nowhere and just 
always be there. It took him a while to get top in. Everyone seems like they just get out on the Warriors in all these games or what happened, whatever. But the Warriors, their consistency in their top in is just way better than other teams. You watch teams, they might start off and they're ahead of the Warriors, third, fourth quarter, and you just watch the usually in the long end, the Warriors are able to outlast out sustain they just play with so much more you just like okay is it over you're like here they come here they come as usual last night another prime example you just watch this team in the face of destroying the face of defeat they just keep on fighting and it's just always at the tape you're like okay we know who's gonna come out yeah i was thinking about your carl lewis analogy in the 200 i happen to be at the 1984 gold medal race in Los Angeles. It was my 16th birthday. My parents scraped together enough money for me to go to L.A. and part of a YMCA trip on a van. We slept on the floor of the Burbank YMCA, but we got to go to all these events. I saw Carl Lewis in the two, and you see him come around the curve, and you don't really know yet where you are until you hit the top of the stretch, but then Carl would hit the top of the stretch and get straight away. And like you always say, if he's even, he's leaving. He's leaving. <laughs> and that's a Warrior team. They're down 17 or 18 at the curve. You know the race isn't over because they got that championship blood. They flip the switch defensively, and next thing you know, at the tape, they're out leaning Portland again. Steph Curry, the greatest mirage of all time, just scored the most points in an NBA postseason sweep in league history. Shaq had the previous record. He scored 145 points in a four-game sweep during the 2002 NBA Finals. Steph scored 146 against the Portland Trailblazers. But, of course, you know, he's just a mirage. Um, Steph and Draymond combined to score or assist on 74% of the Warriors scoring last night. They were responsible for 88 of 119 total points. The Warriors are in rarefied air because they shoot so many three-pointers and so effectively, because they run at such a high-pressurized, high-tempo pace when KD's not there. No lead is really safe. And last night, no matter how high that lead climbed for the Portland Trailblazers, you could never really feel comfortable that... The Warriors were out of it, and they just proved that because they have such unbelievable deep shooting and because they can score baskets in bunches because of their pace, you really never have a game, and you never have a lead where the Warriors are dead to rights, and that will face the next team, whoever they face off against in the NBA Finals, Bucks or Raptors. Just remember, boys, there is no lead that is safe against this Golden State team. Yesterday, the big news of the day was also off the court as Magic Johnson took to the television airwaves and bashed people that he worked with within the Lakers organization, including calling Rob Palenka, the GM, a backstabber. What exactly was Magic Johnson trying to accomplish by setting fire to the Lakers organization publicly? Here's the Rise Guys on KIFM in Sacramento. Obviously, Magic was out there doing some magic control. That was magic spin control today. Sort of like, it's not me, it's them. Because right after he got, um, after, right after he left, there were a number of people, and Woj was one, and I think Windhorst was one, and, it might, and Plaschke, and, and, who writes for the LA Times, was one. All three of those guys said, you know, magic is a treasure, but he is terrible at that job. In other words, he should leave. This mm-hmm. is not the job for him. There are yeah. other jobs for him, and this isn't it. Right. Um, so maybe Magic just decided, all right, enough of that. I'm, I need to you know, restore the narrative. But he did say that LeBron, um, even during a really difficult year, he said LeBron's relationship and his work with the young players was sensational. He said, I'll tell you who he really worked with. He worked a ton with Lonzo. Like he, He's going to help Lonzo a ton. 
Like it was the only out of everything Magic said, I thought you know that might actually be interesting if it turns out that LeBron behind the scenes um, wants to go forward with some of these young guys and sees them as part of the future because they if he believes that a couple of those just pick a couple if he really loves Ingram or thinks Kuzma can do it or thinks Lonzo Ball's defense can help them win, then you're, you don't have to add 40 pieces. You need to add maybe one or two good pieces. Um, I tweeted over the weekend, what player in the NBA would make the best coach? And I you know, suggested Draymond, and I believe he'd be a good coach, and I also wanted to see what, how people would react. As far as a superstar who would make a great GM, I think the same thing applies. Like Draymond Green is probably not going to – the aggravation won't be worth it to him. He'll have so much money. It's like he, he could coach, but why would he? And I think that applies to – it's interesting that Magic chose to do this, and then he decided it's not worth it. Right. Oh, yeah, I don't definitely. know that it would ever be worth it to Kobe, but I bet you there's a chance he'd be really good at it. Yeah. I think he could if, if the farther he gets away from his playing days. Because he is more – what? I don't think he's going to care about the things Magic cares about. Let me put it that way. Kobe's uh, – well, I'll probably use the wrong term – film work. You know, that he presents when he rolls through some stuff. That stuff is really interesting. Yeah. And it reveals how um, intricately he thinks about the game. Yeah. There's no reason why he would do it. Yeah. um, Because he's set up so great now and he's always going to be viewed as, you know, one of the great Lakers of all time. There's no reason for him to do any damage to that. But I bet you he'd be really good at it. You asked. Larry Bird was pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah. You, You asked during the season, a couple of times during the season, you asked me. Hey, at what point with the Lakers will it be sort of Kobe time? Well, I would argue that we're there. Now that Magic's out of the way, or however you want to think about it with Magic, now that Magic's not part of the front office, if I were Rob Palenka, I'd be asking Kobe, you know, is there a way that we can bring you into the family? It doesn't have to be official. Why don't you describe for us what you could do if mm-hmm. you, and we'll car, if you could carve out some time what kind of a, a role would you like to play cuz we'd like to have you play that role maybe it's a mentorship role or maybe you want something official why don't Remember, we talk about that he wanted to work more closely with the young players when Luke Walton just got there and Luke Walton said our guys aren't ready for that magic is very particular about how people view him he is very cognizant of his reputation and perception and he loves being loved He loves being the businessman. He loves being the NBA Hall of Famer. He loves being a talking head. He loves the attention. And the fact that it was so inglorious at L.A. and within his Lakers run as a front office executive, he is going into damage control because he would rather point the finger at everybody else instead of owning just how bad it has become in L.A. And that's what he was trying to accomplish, deflecting the soil on his reputation. The NBA draft is less than a month away, and the number one pick, of course, belongs to the New Orleans Pelicans, who celebrated like it was 1999, or the year that they drafted Anthony Davis, when they won the NBA lottery a little over a week ago. And so, of course, they're going to take Zion Williamson, right? Well, it's interesting because Zion was quoted in a high school documentary, which somebody just ended up seeing and bringing to light yesterday, where he says A.D. stiffed him for an autograph when he was in high school, and he would never do that to other high school players. Does it make things awkward in New Orleans? And what can Pelicans fans expect? Here's Zion's high school basketball coach, who joined WWL Sports Talk in New Orleans. You know Zion well. When you saw a lot of the national pundits saying, hey, Zion shouldn't come to New Orleans, 
Would that be out of his character to say something like that, to, to, to do something like that? Like, hey, I'm not coming to New Orleans? No, no. Zion, Zion is one of them unique individuals who, who loves the game of basketball. And his goal was to make it to the NBA. And it seemed like that's going to happen. And I think, I think whoever drafted him, he was going to be happy. Or he is going to be happy. And he's going he's gonna to take that team to a, a whole other level. Lee, tell me about his personality. Would you describe him as an alpha personality? Yeah, he, he's definitely a, a strong individual on the basketball court. But off the basketball court, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's actually a shy individual. Um, but on the basketball court, you wouldn't know it because he, he plays the game with such a uh, – uh, you know, a strong personality out there. He just uh, demand uh, his way on the court and his uh, demand uh, his presence on the court and just uh, just uh, outstanding. But off the court, not so much. Is he a leader though, on and off the court? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's a natural leader. Uh, you know, he he he's a servant first. And you don't see that in in people nowadays. Uh, everybody wants want to be served. Everybody wants their way. And Zion is not like that. Zion uh, wants his teammates to to do well. Uh, he definitely wants whatever organization or team he's playing for to do well. And he's his he, mentality is he's going to do what he can as an individual to make whatever situation he's in better. How early did you know that he was going to play in the NBA? Uh, when I first saw him in the fifth grade, I thought he was uh, pretty good, but uh, a lot of times you see a fifth grader that's kind of different than other fifth graders. A little bit further ahead, you always think, well, high school, maybe, maybe even college. But the first time I worked him out, which was between his eighth grade year and ninth grade year, I knew he had a chance to be very, very good. And then uh, at some point in his ninth grade year, he started to do some amazing stuff. And I thought he uh, had a chance to, you know, be ranked and and be one of the best players uh, in high school. And, uh, and of course, as he continued to push himself, and, of course, I pushed him and other folks around him pushed him, because that's what Zion wanted, and he ended up, of course, being the, the player that we see today. Is there a moment in his career in high school where you saw him do something and you were like, "Man, that's special! I've never seen him. I've never seen any high school kid do that." Well, I I, I was fortunate enough to see. Uh, we call them we call them pros. <laughs> you know, you can kind of tell a kid that's got the potential to be a pro even when they're in the ninth and tenth grade because of the way they move on the court and that sort of thing. But I remember Zion getting still at half court and doing a spin move and then another dribble and then finishing at the rim. Didn't dunk it, but a spin move and one dribble to cover that much distance without traveling, uh, that was pretty amazing. Uh, and, and and he continued to do stuff uh, like that. Um 
a lot of people look at the dunks, but they they really don't look at his skill set as a as a basketball player, which is which is uh, way up above most people his age, which he's still he's still 18 years old. Look, I hope that Zion doesn't let that get in the way of wanting to play with AD because if AD stuck around, I think a Zion-AD pairing would be enormous and immediately make them one of the most intriguing teams in the NBA. As I've said before, I think Anthony Davis should take the first half of the season and stay in New Orleans. Don't force your way out via trade now. And let's say Zion ends up becoming the type of player that LeBron was early or just a dynamic rookie player Instead of forcing your way out where there is not a young Zion, why not stick around where there is? And more than that, remember, wherever AD gets traded to, that team immediately becomes lessened by their assets because they're going to have to trade something, a bounty, to get Anthony Davis. Might just be better to see how it rolls in New Orleans, although there's no signal yet of AD decided to do that this offseason. The Memphis Tigers are burning up the recruiting trail, and they did this a number of years ago when Coach Calipari was there, but since they've fallen on hard times. And instead of that program kind of falling back into the weeds, the hiring of Memphis legend Anthony Hardaway has lit it up again. And Penny was hired because of his recruiting ties and ties to high school players in the AAU circuit, and it's paying dividends. Here's ESPN's Scott Van Pelt on Gary Parrish's show on 92.9 Radio in Memphis, on Penny's domination of the recruiting circuit. I mean, look, anytime you start killing it, then then you know it's the first thing that people say is, bag man this or sure. red flag that, and, and they're cheating. And I mean, look, the, given what's going on over the past couple of years, and you and I both know how the game's played, right? I mean, there's there's show me the show me the people that are doing it only with virtue, and, and that's going to be a small list, man. Um, it's 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 a tricky game. To play. It's relationships. Uh, and I'm not saying that Penny's cheating. I'm not saying but I'm just saying it's a tough, tough hill to climb. As on his side is uh, the relationships locally where you get a guy like Wiseman, and now everybody's like, okay, so they got him. He's the best guy in the class. And then you've got who he is and was to Memphis and who he was in the NBA. But the funny thing is, if you're 18 years old, you don't know who the hell little Penny is. Right. So... I mean, in the same way that, like, at Georgetown, they, guys playing for Patrick, they don't know Patrick from back in the day. And it's, it's, it's wild how you can connect to guys that wouldn't know it, but enough people understand, like, oh, man, Penny was the guy, man, the guy. And so it makes sense to me. What, what's amazing is, like, are they just going to have 25 dudes next year? I know. It, sounds like they're not, it sounds like they're not done. That RJ, and I forget his last name. Hampton. Like, he could still... Yeah, and he's a top fifteen, top ten guy. He could still land there. Supposedly, it's yeah. like I don't like. I guess you're just going to run out like like twenty two dudes for the layup because <laughs> they they seem to have room for everybody. But like, look, I don't think that I don't. It doesn't, it doesn't have red flags to me. It has the cachet of who he is, catching lightning in a bottle with a local product who's the number one player that becomes sort of a pie piper. Getting a couple of decommits from Duke is like whoa. Look at that. Like, like I said it the other night, they, they, they got the kind of momentum that only the bluest of the blue bloods on the trail ever seem to get. So it's, um, it's, it's, it happened amazingly quickly, too, which is why I'm sure Penny was optimistic. But, like, this is, this is fever dream stuff, man. This is real, real hammered late at night kind of you wouldn't put this on paper as your hope because it would be too outrageous. I'm talking to Scott Van Pelt from ESPN. And to your point, um, after Precious Achua committed on Friday, I got a text message from, I'll just say, a coach of 
a team that's going to be in the top 10 next season, preseason. And he was like, I guess I need to start wearing flat bill hats and, and dressing like Penny if I can, so I can get some dudes like this. And I hit him with a ha-ha-ha. And then I said, because this is a coach that I, I've known for a while and I trust, and I said, hey, listen, just uh, between us, what is the perception around the country, like in your industry? What are people saying? Are they, are they whispering, yeah, you know what those guys are doing. They're cheating down there. And this coach, for whatever it's worth, he said, that's not the perception I get at all. He said, I think they, they had an in with Wiseman, and they've used that to, to get into other places, and they're selling the NBA in a way that nobody else can sell it because of Penny Hardaway and Mike Miller, and that's all kids care about. Say, don't, miss, don't miss Mike Miller. Right. Don't miss Mike Miller's uh, impact here, too, because it's not just one guy on the bench. Right. And I think it, the beauty is, like, Penny was a superstar. Miller's a guy who, who used his particular skill set to... to, to cash big checks, and get rings. So it's like, I think when you can tag team it like that, right. it's like a buddy cop movie. you got a black guy and a white guy. They both made it to the league, and they're both saying, we know how to get you there. Well, there are two big dynamics when it comes to success from a college basketball coach. Talent acquisition, namely recruiting, and then actual in-game coaching. And let's face it, talent is far more important than actual in-game coaching. So, as long as Penny brings in the five-star kids, the McDonald's All-Americans, the top-shelf AAU players, everybody in Memphis is going to be pretty happy and certainly give him a long leash, even if he does not have immediate success on the floor. Dirk Nowitzki steps away after two decades of the NBA as by far the most beloved player in Mavericks franchise history and the greatest international-born player in league history. So now that he walks away, how does he fill the rest of his life? Here is Dirk on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas on the Ben and Skin Show. What are you doing besides just sitting around and playing Fortnite? And stuff? I, I wish I was sitting around playing Fortnite. No, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of time now for, for fundraisers and, you know, all these events before the summer hits because then in the summer everybody's gone. And so the spring and the uh, and – uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the fall time is a, is, a, is a busy time where every weekend I feel like it's, it's been an event. And, you know, we're still trying to get our uh, foundation situated and, and do, do even more stuff. And, uh, so we got a new office now. And so I've actually been, uh, I've been running around a lot. If you guys saw, I went down to Austin yesterday. I drove down there and, uh, and saw some of the, um, I saw it, you know, it was in the Capitol and, uh, hung out there for a few hours, so it's been—it's honestly been one thing after the next. But uh, enjoying it, you know, is is different. Honestly, I have not worked out once since that last <laughs> game. I'm I'm enjoying not uh, having that pressure of of always going to the gym, and uh, one day I don't go, I feel like oh, you know, I feel bad. I should have done this and this, and so I've just you know been enjoying it. And, Going to every kid's event at the school, which, uh, as you guys, I'm sure know, there is something every other day at school. Right. They want you involved, which is which is great. But uh, there's a lot happening. So yeah, I've been uh, been staying busy. We traveled a little bit, and we're about to travel a little more uh, once the kids do get out of school. So yeah, really just having having a good time and uh, seeing the family a lot, and also mixing in some business. All right, I want to ask you a couple of questions about this Austin thing. You said you drove down. Was that actually Dirk behind the wheel, or did you have a driver? And... Yeah, you know, I, I have my guy, uh, Mr. Bishop, as you, you guys know okay. me. He's, he's on, oh, yeah. on all the trips uh, with the Mavs, and uh, he went down there, and uh, we actually, uh, Keisha from the Mavs went down. And um, so, yeah, we had a little 
little uh, uh, road trip going on. It was it was fun. So no, it, it was quick. I actually, believe it or not, I've never been to Austin, which is uh, sort of embarrassing to say. But you know, in in my twenties, I always in the in the summer is really the time to do that stuff. But I always went home as soon as the season was over. Uh, you know, I played national team for ten plus years, and uh, so it was never. It was never on a schedule for me actually to make it, so it was actually nice, nice to go down there and, and enjoy the drive and, um, and and see some stuff and uh, and see the capital and the building and uh, it, was, uh, it was neat. And now I could say I've uh, been in Austin. I was I was laughing because I don't think I've ever seen you in TMZ, and I hated it for your privacy because they're all up in your business. But they're but the story on TMZ was Dirks at the beach and he's shredded. They're giving you so much love for me. <laughs> if that's shredded, then uh, we'd be in trouble. Now, you know, I got to say, uh, I've gained a little bit. And I guess it's normal, you know, if you don't have to pressure. And, you know, uh, it's the first time I don't really watch my diet. You know, sometimes in the summer over the years, you know, I've had a few wines in here and there. But to completely not worry about it is, is something I really enjoyed. And so I've, I've I got to admit, I've had ice cream almost every day. Uh, so you know the last couple of days i've been trying some suits on and they just don't fit uh anymore like they like they have the, uh, my, my last 10 years or whatever so i've been i've been gaining some weight but the good thing is when you when you're seven feet you know you hide you hide it pretty good i mean it's, uh, unless it gets uh it goes really high but uh i'm probably already you know, 15 pounds plus than I was already at my playing weight. So, it, as you guys know, it goes up really quick. Going down, <laughs> going That's down is a grind. So, but I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying it. And you know, eventually I'll get back on the program. You know, you can't just not do anything for for the rest of my life. You know, you got to sort of train your heart down. As you guys, I'm sure, are aware of as as an athlete, if you train for so long, you can't just do nothing for the rest of your life. So eventually once, but right now I just have zero motivation to go work out at all. And so eventually that will come back and I'll find a routine uh, where, it's, where it's fun again. But as of now, it's been, uh, it's, it's family and, 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 and we're going to start traveling soon. The fact that Dirk won an NBA championship, won an NBA finals, and did so against a super team like LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh of the Miami Heat, is always going to keep him as one of the heroes of the Dallas sports scene forever. And let's face it, that is a football town and a Cowboys town through and through in a football state. But when he won that championship and with how great he was to the media and fans and how gracious he was to the front office and the organization, never complaining, never forcing his way out, never demanding more money, Dirk is always going to be beloved no matter what his post-career says in the Dallas Metroplex. And finally, what would it be without a check-in with our good friends in Pittsburgh? The Fan Morning Show 93.7 discussing yet another chapter in the Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown flap. Now it's Ben Roethlisberger apologizing for how he treated Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown calling him two-faced on social media. Yep, it's been too long since we checked in with these guys. Let's listen in. He had every opportunity to throw AB under the bus. And he didn't. And didn't. But I, it, and that was the but, way, that was the best way for Ben to react. But I, I, Ben, in his heart of hearts, does not at all believe that AB made him who he is. But this is what's interesting about Ben Roethlisberger, and every time he speaks, I think everybody looks at it through a different lens. There are those of us 
who look at it and say, no, nah, I don't believe anything that guy says. So there are those of us that say, no, no, I believe he, his comments really come from his, his own truth. And then there are people, I just don't think there's very many of them, somewhere in the middle. And I, I think we've, we've tried to ride that very fine line as often as we can. But it, there is just, he is a lightning rod. People well, I are think always that Ben already to, realizes he won. And when he sat down with Pompiani, he know he kind of he could sit there with a and, and cross his arms if he want with a big smile on his face and pretty much say, "I already won." Like Antonio Brown could go and, and act like he got what he wanted. Whatever I've already won in the court of public opinion. For some people, and I'm not saying this is me, but the impossible was done. Bet and these are the people that don't like Ben. Ben became the good guy and the victor in a situation against someone else. You know, that, and I think that Ben was A-OK with everything that he did. If you don't like truth, don't turn on his radio show because what he's going to give you, what he's going to give about his teammates is truth. And the problem is that Antonio Brown can't handle the truth and some other guys just can't handle the truth. But I, if people thought that they were going to turn this on last night at either 6 or 11 and get Ben Roethlisberger throwing somebody under the bus, it just wasn't going to happen. He's at the point now where he already won. And that's, I guess that's kind of my point is, you know, people are going to always digest what Ben says through an already preconceived notion, right? Because he's been here so long, he's gone through so much as a Pittsburgh Steeler on and off the field, done some of it to himself. And I think people, they've already got, Ben Roethlisberger in that interview last night was not going to change anybody's ideas about Ben Roethlisberger, right? You you either take what he says at face value or you believe that there's some there's something more to it, but from again, as a guy who's criticized Ben heavily in the past, I look at what he said yesterday in that interview, and I think he hit all the right notes. He took the highest of possible roads, Jim. Here's what Ben hasn't won: he didn't win the division. He hasn't won a Super Bowl for man. I mean, they haven't won a you know, but they've won a playoff game. But since since 2010. You know, it's it's been there hasn't been a whole lot of success. I think that there is a, and I'll, I'll interpret Ben too. I think that there, in some ways, is a sense of relief uh, that he doesn't have to deal with Antonio Brown anymore. He's got a new cast of characters coming in, including Juju plus James Washington, who's going to be better. He's got two new guys, Dante Moncrief, who's had some success, and then Deontay Johnson. Um, you know, is he going to be like A.B.? Who knows? But he's, you know, similar coming out of the same conference. So in other words, he has a, there's a new cast of characters here, and it's a chance for, you know, if A.B. made him who he is, oh, yeah, uh, well, I'm going to help make these guys, and these guys are going to help me make the Steelers into a championship team again. I think he really believes that. There's no way Antonio Brown is going to be as productive as he was in Pittsburgh, and you can put a bow on that. And he thinks that he will. He thinks that he can carry an offense well, guess what? He's going to be in for a harsh reality. Was Ben Roethlisberger without responsibility in this? Absolutely not. But every day, another example of A.B. acting the fool. That's the best in your sports talk. It's Around the Dial for Tuesday, May the 21st. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 